master of is a skyscraper. When he moves, the whole earth quivers and quakes, and an abyss of horror opens up. See these prehistoric beasts emerge from the bowels of the earth after 200 million years to devastate mankind. Supersonic jets cannot catch him. Rockets cannot stop him. Armored tanks are helpless before him. Even guided missiles are powerless. See Rodin destroy a modern city, leveling it to the earth with a killing airstream of his mighty wings. Monster Island Resorters, and thank you for returning once again to the Monster Island Resort, your online radio show that goes bump in the night. And thank you also for your patience in eagerly anticipating another episode. It has been an eventful summer, to say the least. My name is Miguel Rodriguez, and I am your host discussing all things monstrous in history, art, literature, film, and beyond. And today I have yet another kaiju-rific episode for you. Joining me to discuss his very exciting upcoming Godzilla-based project is none other than Kyle Yount of the lauded Kaiju Cast podcast. You have heard him on this show before during a recording of our Kaiju panel at Crypticon Seattle from last year, and possibly have heard his great podcast all about Godzilla and his rubber-suited foes. He does have something great on the horizon, but I think I'll let him talk about that. I just wanted to give some of you who may be new to the world of Godzilla a quick little vocabulary lesson, since we tend to drop some words in our conversation without really defining them. The words Showa, Heisei, and Millennium refer to the different eras of Godzilla films. The Showa films were the films that came out from between 1954 to 1975, the Heisei films technically started in 1989, but tend to include Godzilla 1984. And the Millennium films are all the films that came out after the year 2000, or technically, I guess, 1999. We also dropped some names like Kenji Sahara, Akira Takarada, Tomoyuki Tanaka, and others, and generally we are either talking about people who acted or worked on classic Godzilla films in some capacity, uh, generally some people who really left a mark on those films. And finally, I make a joke at some point about Kip Hamilton, who appeared in the film War of the Gargantuas as entertainment on a cruise ship, singing the song The Words Get Stuck in My Throat. Okay, that should get you up to speed. On to Kyle of Kaiju Cast. Hello, Kyle Yount. I do believe this is your first time on the Monster Island Resort. Welcome. And uh, to begin with, why don't you talk a little bit about your kaiju cast and what some people can expect from it? I'm sure we have some listener cross-appeal. 
I would hope so. And uh, thank you for having me on the show, of man. Course, I really it's been too appreciate long. it. It has been too long. I know we've done things in the past. I've before, been on Kaiju Cast. It's time to switch it up. Yeah, let's switch it up. So um, basically, I started this podcast, the Kaiju Cast, in 2009, and I wanted to do something completely dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes, as I say yes. in every episode. Right now, we do a bi-monthly podcast, and the first episode of the month is usually an interview or a special topic that we cover. And then the second episode of the month, we have what's called our Daikaiju Discussion where we have a schedule laid out of every single kaiju film ever made. And each month we talk about one of those films. And so just the other day we watched Gamera versus Gauss from Excellent. 1967. And my friends came over, we watched it, we talked about it. And then we read all the reviews from the listeners too, which was a lot. A lot of people. Yeah, that's that uh, from the Showa <laughs> era of Gamera. That's one of the big ones. Yeah, definitely. A lot of, lot of fans apparently. So you know, this is the kind of thing we do on a regular basis, and then every once in a while I get to go to a convention, I'll put on a panel all about giant monster stuff, and those have been getting a lot of attendance numbers lately. It's really been really great, especially since Pacific Rim came out. So that's pretty much what we do on a daily basis, and just promote Godzilla and Kaiju love. And yeah, I guess I, I've been on one of your panels at uh, up at Crypticon Seattle, which which was ended up becoming one of my episodes. And I have to say, one of my biggest downloaded episodes. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. But anyway, tell me about your personal introduction to Godzilla. What made you, of course, want to start this whole thing you've got going with Kaiju Cast? And why do you think he's stuck with you for so long? Well, I'll say, as far as my personal introduction to Godzilla goes, I I actually grew up in an area where, as far as I know, we did not have like the creature feature movie hour right. or playing Godzilla movies on television. Or if we did have one in Columbia, South Carolina, maybe your listeners might know. And I just my parents may have like kept me away from it. But as far as my my history with Godzilla goes, it actually goes back to Rodan because when I was a kid, I was a hu like huge into dinosaurs. And then we went to a toy store and I saw the Mattel Shogun Warriors Rodan figure. And I said, Mom, it's a giant pteranodon. And so eventually it became mine. And I loved it to death. And then later on we moved, and this was back when uh, video stores were brand new. And so we went to a video store, and they had Rodan on VHS. And my mom was like, look, this is the movie from that toy you had. Yeah. Watched it about a million times, and I really loved it. But at that point, I didn't know about Godzilla I just knew about the Godzilla from the cartoon from Hanna-Barbera. Right, with, with Godzuki. Yeah, exactly. And where Godzilla has laser beams coming out of his eyes. So, <laughs> and breathes fire. Yeah. And sounds but, a lot like every other Hanna-Barbera monster. Wow, wow, wow. Exactly. Ted Cassidy doing the voice. That's right, Ted Cassidy. Yeah. <laughs> Flash forward to when I was like 13 years old, we actually moved to Tokyo for my dad's work. And I was watching TV, and Godzilla in 1985 came on the TV. Awesome. And I was riveted, completely just awestruck by this rad giant monster destroying buildings. And I had seen, like, King Kong kind of movies before, but this was different. This was a badass lizard, like, trouncing through Tokyo, and I just loved it. And that's when I found out that Godzilla was essentially a series of films and then eventually that dissipated a bit until I got on the internet in 95 and I was looking up my interests because I was living in Savannah, Georgia and I was like, oh, Star Wars, cool. 
Oh, Tank Girl, cool. <laughs> oh, Godzilla, what? They've been making movies ever since. Like, yeah. <laughs> and that was really the the catalyst for me, like kicking off my extreme Godzilla love. Now, as far as wanting to talk about Godzilla and like starting the podcast, I was on a I was on a pirate radio station. This show and called a. Uh, Horror Holocaust Radio was hosted by my co-host Jeff Dean and his co-host Willie. They asked me to come on and talk about Godzilla, and it was so much fun that eventually I was like, I got to figure out how to do this for myself. (laughs) Yeah, I know the feeling and and the need to share it with other people. I got to say, in the 90s, when the internet happened, it was almost impossible to find Godzilla movies before then. So that was such a miracle. Oh, yeah. Since this bit of information will come up again later in our conversation, can you talk a little bit about Sci-Fi Japan TV and how you know some of those guys and, and some of your involvement maybe in the past with them? Sure. So, you know, one of my claims to fame Uh, I'll just nutshell this for you, but one of my claims (laughs) to fame on the internet is that I was the curator and the owner of shrineofgamera.com. And because of that, I got to know some of the other people around, like the guy who ran, oh my gosh, what was it? It I think it was just called Godzilla News at the time, Aaron. uh, And then Aaron Smith was his name. And then from there, I got to know Bob Johnson and August Ragoni. And then they were like, hey, we want to start Henshin Online and they were looking for somebody to help. And so I was like, I would love to be the webmaster of Henshin Online. Check out the Shrine of Gamera. And so we started Henshin Online. And then eventually that sort of fell away. And Bob and Keith started their own thing, which was Sci-Fi Japan, with a whole plethora of people that, that write and work with them. And it became a huge deal for them, which is fantastic. They did that. And at that time, there was this unfortunate like ha- thing that happened basically after they left this was right after final wars like maybe 2005 and i was just yeah. like super burned out on godzilla at the time and the thing that really killed it for me was the death of aaron smith who ran that uh he ran monster zero news right. which was the website um that he and i became friends through and so when he died and after all the drama from Final Wars and being on forums like 24-7, I was just like, I'm done. So I stepped away for a little while. But that's how I know those guys. And then in 2009, that's when I was like, I want to get back into Godzilla. How should I do this? And that's when I started the podcast. But those guys are like serious old school friends of mine. And I really, really love Sci-Fi Japan, especially because they're my main news source for <laughs> Godzilla-related stuff and and kaiju-related stuff. All of this is kind of culminating toward uh, our conversation about a project you're working on. And one thing that I'm fascinated about this particular project, it's almost like a 48-hour film fest where the clock is seriously ticking. So I'm just going to say that it's a feature documentary, including an overseas trip that you plan to organize, shoot, edit, and release by November of this year, just a couple of months from now, really. So why don't you talk about what the documentary is and the significance of that proposed release date? Okay, so the documentary is called Hail to the King, 60 Years of Destruction, and it is basically an independent documentary celebrating the history and the impact of Godzilla. And this is mainly celebrating it in terms of how it's affected some of the people in Japan. So... What's going to happen is there's, in, good Lord, in just a few days, this exhibit in Tokyo will open called the Big Godzilla Special Effects Exhibition. And they'll have suits and props and memorabilia and 
all sorts of really cool things on display. My proposal was to go to Japan, document this exhibition, and then meet up with people that I know personally that have worked on the Godzilla series and basically interview them in a very casual style and turn it into this documentary. Right. So I guess those of us back here who don't have the means to make it all the way to Japan can kind of live vicariously through that particular experience. That's sort of, yeah, that's definitely one of the perks of doing this. And we're going to shoot it in HD. We're going to have really nice cameras with us, video and still cameras to to really just document this thing like crazy. And you know, one of the things is, you know, I didn't feel comfortable just saying like, oh, send me to Japan so I can cover it for the Kaiju cast. So <laughs> ten, 10 years ago, I did this film festival in Portland, and this was sort of like, well, what's the next big thing I could do? And so I came up with the documentary. And then going over there and shooting it, we only have like five days in, in Tokyo. Yeah, I'll bring the footage all back here. And then my buddy Martin, who's also on the podcast a lot, he's an editor. He's got his own video production company. So he and I together are going to edit this thing together and cut it into a, a feature-length documentary. And then we're going to be releasing it on YouTube on November 3rd. That's the plan. And that's, you know, of course, Godzilla's actual 60th birthday. Yeah, when it was released in Japan. Right, right. In 1954. So that's the plan. And it's, I got to say, like, it went the, the, in the very beginning stages. It was a very trepidatious kind of stepping stone for me. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. And... The response has been absolutely amazing. I am completely floored by people putting so much money behind this project that it's actually allowed us to go even further past our original goal and hit some of our stretch goals. It's been just amazing. And I can't wait to hop on that plane and head over there <laughs> and and really... Uh, really like just I mean, we're going to be there in Tokyo we're actually only there for like four straight days but my goal is to film as much as possible yeah have a camera rolling the whole time basically pretty, pretty much I mean we've got the camera crew initially we had the camera crew for two days because that's all I thought I would be able to afford with my original goal and once we blew past the original goal and into the stretch goal where I could hire them for one more day and I was like, well, that's awesome because that gives us 50% more footage to go through for this for this um, documentary. And yeah. that also gives us, I, I can't say any details about it, but my plan, if it works, is to have one evening where I sit down with the crew members that I know that were working on them, like the Millennium series, and then some cast members from hopefully the Showa series... And then another night where I sit down and have some beers with Japanese kaiju fans themselves. Right. So you get that perspective. Exactly. Like really, from where I'm sitting, it'd be like hitting on all the important you know, venues there. Well, it's great because anybody who would go out and seek this documentary, as well as people we know, we know Godzilla fandom from the U.S. perspective, from G-Fest or from Monster Palooza or whatever. But... That's a different perspective that we don't necessarily get to see as much. That's very true, man. We in Japan they don't have conventions like Monster Palooza a lot, and they don't definitely don't have anything like G Fest. Right. But what they have usually is they'll have like a toy show where they'll bring in some guests every once in a while, and it's it's interesting to see them come over to America. Like it's it's amazing to be perfectly honest. The first time I ever saw Akira Takarada 
he was standing in front of an entire room filled with fans at G-Fest and the opening ceremonies. And he was like so moved by all of these people that came out to see him and meet him. that it was, I mean, it was really quite uh, like I was taken aback by it. Like, so it's, that's one aspect of it. And there's absolutely no discounting that. That is just fantastic. And I would love to, maybe have like an addendum to the to the documentary someday doing like Godzilla in America but <laughs> it's so how do i say this i am fascinated by the japanese perspective and reception of the Godzilla series if you look at the you know the history of time and as Godzilla came out in 54 and did really well and then did poorly and then did really well and then started to do a little bit less well and you know there's there are these peaks and valleys of how the fans were receiving these films and i'm really interested in how this actually went down in japan because as first off as someone who's from a different country i'm reliant on probably fourth-hand information for this kind of stuff you oh, know yeah, easily yeah so it's uh i mean i think it's a and granted, I'm doing the documentary, but I think it's a fascinating subject. Oh, and, it's extremely you know. fascinating. And I, I'm just going to kind of segue here and mention, I like how we're able to kind of talk about some of this stuff with some sincerity, because you basically not only have met your goal, but you're a very short way away from your final stretch goal. And I've talked to some people on the podcast who have Kickstarters or other types of crowdsourcing where it's still very much a almost a, an advertisement to try and solicit some more money. Mm-hmm. But now I feel like we can be, you know, and I and I definitely encourage people to help you make the stretch goal to uh, to seventeen thousand. But I feel like we can do you know do away with a little bit of the kind of shop talk and, and just be nerds about this for a bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I don't, I at this point. Like, I'm still promoting it, obviously. Yes. But there's definitely less pressure. I can go into further detail on what I'd like to do. And it's just, to me, this is a this is a dream come true for me, being able to do something like this, because I've always wanted to go to one of these events. And I, I know I'm not alone. Clearly, I'm not alone. Other oh, people definitely. are, you know, interested in this, too. So that this uh, exhibition is, like, the centerpiece to this documentary. And, of course... As I've been talking about this for the past like two and a half weeks, <laughs> more, you know, I get a little more fine tuned on like how I say things. But yeah, this is like the this exhibit, this exhibition, is they're touting it as being a big deal. So I'm really I'm counting on it being a big deal. And if it's anything like the previous ones that we've seen coming out of Japan, it should be just breathtaking for a fan. Well, from what I've heard, Toho's been brushing off some of their old props. I mean, some of them came over to Comic-Con last year, mm-hmm. uh, like the Oxygen Destroyer prop and some other things for the uh, for the huge Godzilla awesome exhibit that they had last year. Yeah, which, the Godzilla Encounter. Yeah, the Godzilla Encounter, which was just unbelievable. It makes me think, you know, my old housemate, Beth, her brother works for Fox, and what he does is special features on DVDs. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he worked on, much to the chagrin of many people who will be listening to this, are the the special features that were on the DVD for the 1997 TriStar Travesty. Um, oh, really? <laughs> but, yeah. But uh, some of the cool things that were able to come from that and, and actually didn't, unfortunately, necessarily make it onto the DVD were a tour of... 
Toho Studios and their warehouse. And so I was able to see some of that raw footage and I just couldn't believe it. I mean, it was it was massive. And all this stuff is was just remember, this is back in 96 or something when they filmed this. So all this stuff is just sitting on shelves, collecting dust, latex kind of melting away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so they have this stuff. They have it. And so from what I understand, a lot of that stuff's kind of being cleaned up and and that's what's being contributed to a lot of these exhibitions. Yeah, there's a there's an event that's uh, I believe yesterday was the last day in Tokyo, mm-hmm. which it looked really cool. So I'm a little bummed that we're missing it. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So exactly the, uh, this this one that they just had, they totally like brought out like I think it was the Godzilla 2000 or the Godzilla X Megagira suit. Oh, and yeah. The one designed I, by uh, Wakasashi Shinichi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when he. But he, he had photos of it, and I was like, that is so dusty. How do you clean that? I know. <laughs> but it was, it, I mean, they they got it. It looked beautiful on this pedestal, and this, they had all sorts of cool things there. And that's not even this big exhibition. That was sort of like a that event. A side looked, event. Yeah, like, it looked cool. They had, like, some crazy unveiling of a solid gold Godzilla figure. <laughs> but this one here is totally open to the public. It's uh, It's up for two weeks straight. And, you know, it's the new and this uh, big Godzilla special effects exhibition. I, you know, I can't wait to see it. Well, I appreciate this particular project because obviously I'm not going to be able to go. But uh, I I can't wait to see it through your eyes and through the eyes of the cameras you have going. You know, I kind of want to go back to what you were saying before about the fascination or really the what is really fascinating about the 60 year history of Godzilla, because as you mentioned, we have a very strange perspective on it. And for example, I went to the Turner Classic Movies Film Festival this year. And one of the greatest things they had is they showed the brand new Rialto 60th anniversary DCP remaster of Gojira, the 1954 film, with all new subtitles, which honestly, the subtitles were the best part. They're the best subtitles I've seen yet. But anyway, so you have the TCM crowd there, you know, Turner Classic Movies crowd, many of whom, here's what the demographics were like. I would say it was about 2% people like you and I, uh, maybe 30% people who remember seeing these on the old you know, late night monster movie channels and a whole lot of people who are just curious as to why TCM would show something like this. So what you ended up happening, first of all, they had a great introduction with Gareth Edwards and, uh, and a historian, and they had a really amazing post film discussion with the, uh, the founder of Rialto afterward comparing the original film to the, uh, Godzilla King of the monsters that came out here. Mm-hmm. And I think what a lot of this did, the film, the introduction, and then that discussion at the end, is it opened up a lot of eyes. And what ended up happening as as we're leaving the theater and all these people were filing out, you, you had a lot of people who were kind of awestruck and completely shocked and surprised at what they saw. And it was not what they expected. And I think... All the people who, A, remembered the, you know, the campy qualities from when they were kids, or B, just everybody has this assumption of the camp, right? Oh, yeah. That they ended up leaving completely floored, and their expectations absolutely shattered. 
And for me personally, it was a extraordinarily vindicative moment. I felt like, <laughs> yeah, finally you're seeing it. You know what I mean? Respect. Yes, yes I see. Respect. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Something fascinating about Godzilla that always strikes me is just how well-known the name is and how little is actually known about the character. Oh, yeah, dude. I could do an entire show just about that aspect yeah. of it, you know? It, it's the common misconceptions about Godzilla. Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's become a part of our lexicon. Godzilla's become, you know, I've talked about this before, become a, a suffix, an adjective. Mm-hmm. But nobody really knows the history of the character in these films. Well, it's, yeah, select few, I would say. Yeah, select few. Yeah. Yeah, of course, the I, I'm, hearts, speaking the of, yeah. Yeah, I'm speaking of the public in general, you know. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, man. That's, uh, I mean, it's, we had the screening up here too in Portland. Obviously, it was not a Turner Classic Movies festival, but we showed it at the Hollywood Theater at the beginning of May. Mm-hmm. And it was really quite, I mean, it was a beautiful print, as you saw. Yeah. And, uh, or I should say, a beautiful digital presentation, as you saw. Yes, DCP. But, yeah. yeah, but it was, uh, I mean, it really was quite cool to sit in the audience and, like, hear their reactions. I, I'm very curious, like, how was the audience reaction during the film? Like, did you get a lot of snickering at stuff? or was No, it pretty, actually. Pretty, pretty and I was solid. surprised. I was really surprised at how little I got of that. Now, uh, partly it is the venue because I think I think people who are fans of classic film anyway mm-hmm. are a little more prone to use their imaginations than say, you know, uh, someone who is just used to watching the Transformers, you know, Michael Bay movies. But right. but at the same time, and this was mentioned on my TCM podcast from the festival, but uh, one really common reaction from people was that was actually really sad like that's what a lot of people said about the film it's like wow that was really sad they're taken aback because we're so used to monster movies in america being kind of like a roller coaster romp and gojira really isn't that it's a lot more philosophical you know yeah so there's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot happening in in the original godzilla and you know that the whole the whole thing in America, we talked about this in, at Crypticon a little bit, is that, you know, at the time, we had our Monster on the Loose films. Yeah. And so Gojira was a direct response to that. But at the same time, it was so Japanese, the way they did it, that it, when people think of, oh, yeah, I'm going to go see this, like, classic Godzilla movie, and they, I honestly feel like they either think it's going to be, like, a 50s, atomic monster on the loose picture where it's like yeah we killed the beast at the end yes or it's going to be a campy rubber suited schlock fest yeah like and, wrestling movie yeah and the fact that i mean the original godzilla is and i've talked about this before on the podcast this is uh you know i have a huge amount of respect for the original godzilla but it is nowhere near my favorite of the godzilla series just because i love my godzilla movies to be fun it's not fun. It's an excellent movie watching experience, and it is a beautiful film. And everything from the sights to the sounds is just masterfully done. But it's so somber and so solemn that it's just—it's a very powerful film. Yeah, it's a tragedy. Really get that. Yeah, you don't get that in any of the other no, pictures. It's a tragedy really. disguised as a monster movie. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like it's it, and so and Ishiro Honda even said that, you know, the monsters are too big to live in our world. That is their tragedy. He uses the word tragedy. And I think what ends up happening is is Tanaka, the uh, the producer, goes with the, where the money is. And th- by the time, you know, the 60s happen and the golden age of giant monster movies in, in Japan, most of the audience is kids and you get. You know, you get some of the movies that I truly love. I think my favorite is probably Godzilla versus the Thing or Godzilla versus Mothra for the same reason that you just cited. It's just so fun. Oh yeah, and you're absolutely right. Tanaka absolutely went where the money was. I mean, that in the movie business, I would imagine you have to go where the money is because, especially especially in Japan. Oh yeah, they're not going to get go the money. Is. <laughs> right? Yeah. So. You know, as the audiences started skewing younger and younger, they had to just kind of start playing to that over and over again. Yeah, and, but, you know, Eiji Tsuburaya knew that, too. He said, you know, there were times when he would say, this is for the kids, and that's why you'd have Godzilla dancing <laughs> and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I think at the same time, you know, like Tomoyuki Tanaka genuinely seemed to love Godzilla. Well, you said that presentation I gave it at Crypticon that had that photo of him like with his arms up in the middle of the street with like three Godzilla suits all around yeah. him. He just looked so happy. That guy, I I wish that I could go back in time and meet Tomiyuki Tanaka and just tell him tell him how Godzilla affected me. Because I think that conversation would be splendid. Yeah. I'm I'm with you on that, definitely. I'm grateful I've been able to do that with Nakajima and Kenji Sahara and Akira Takarada and some of the other people who've who've actually made it overseas. Man, I'm jealous that you got to talk to Sahara recently because I, I, he was like my very first Japanese interview and it was sort of like a spur-of-the-moment thing that happened at G-Fest and I only really had like 10, 15 minutes with him. Mm-hmm. But, gah, I'm hoping... I'm not going to say that he's in it, but like he's on my list of, of actors to talk to in Japan when I'm over there for the, for the Kickstarter. Well, you uh, know, coming from Rodan... Yeah. Oh, my God. Actually, I told him that in that interview. I was like, by the way, you know, Rodan, your face when you see the egg crack. Yeah. And and the little bird poking his beak through it. And like your reaction to that chilled me to the bone. He sells it. He totally sells it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that I appreciate appreciate about these films, even the ones where they get really, really campy is a lot of the actors, you know, some of them t- tend to ham it up near the end, but, you know, like Sahara and some of his, the others, they sell it. They're, they're not there as a big joke. They're selling everything you're seeing, and that's why I think it's resonated so much, partly because of them. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with that statement. By the way, just as an aside, my, my, my personal introduction was actually Godzilla 85 because it came to the States in the theaters. But it was because of that movie I had my parents get Rodan on VHS out of the library. And, uh, and I was really freaked out by Rodan because of the ability to just blow over buildings with his wings. Oh, nice, I thought, nice. like, how could you stop that? Yeah. It's difficult. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> the army barely did it. <laughs> Rodan is back when these movies weren't X versus Y. You know, this was... Toho was making what they considered to be these monster on the loose horror pictures, essentially. Yeah. And ma- I gotta say, like, Rodan and uh, War of the Gargantuas and Matongo 
definitely the three scariest kaiju films that I've ever seen come out of Toho. Matango is a genuinely creepy, atmospheric film. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. Love Matango. It's such genius. I love it so much, and it's so psychedelic. You know, it just makes me think. like, when you decide to make a documentary like this, it's really fortuitous that this particular Japanese exhibition is happening and gives you, I think the exhibition is going to give you a bit of a focal point for this whole 60-year story. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things about this documentary is I'm not trying to make the be-all, end-all documentary of Godzilla. I'm not trying to do the Ken Burns-style documentary (laughs) about kaiju films. I just... I want to do something that really shows the world how Japan received Godzilla. And so this this exhibit is going to provide us with, like you said, focal points. So like when someone's talking about, like, let's just say Rodan. And again, I haven't been to the exhibit yet, so I don't know what it's going to be like. But if they have something from Rodan, then we could actually, as someone's talking about it, we could actually show something from it and like show the details that are going on with that particular prop. I don't want to sell that as being something that's going to be in it, but it's, you're absolutely right. Like that's why I wanted the, the exhibit to be the centerpiece of the, of the documentary, something that we're constantly going back to and showing this rich history, what we can show of the rich history, at least from this series. My curiosity is whether or not they'll have something from uh, Hedora. It would be cool. You know, the problem, as you mentioned earlier, the problem with, having any types of suits yeah, made of this foam rubber with latex and they just break down so quickly. Yeah, you can see it. Yeah. You can see it in the films, you know, cause you get Angulus in 1968 was a brand new costume. And then in 1972, Godzilla versus Gigan, his, he looks terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he looks are like flying off of beaten up. Yeah, absolutely. So, these costumes don't last more than like four or five years unless they've been kept up. When you know, thankfully, the stuff from the Millennium era has been kept up a lot better than the stuff from the from the Heisei era. Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting part of just film and television history that when they were making these movies back in the day, there was no indication that there would be any kind of interest in them in the future or interest yeah, in the props. Or, totally. You know, a lot of this stuff just got movie history in general would just get sent to the scrap heap or the, uh, or the fires. Have you ever seen the pictures of the ultra kaiju suits being burned? Oh, yes. That, that's kind of what I'm talking about, yeah. It hurts my heart to see that. I know. Like, it no! just makes you cry. You know, it's, it's horrible. Yeah, definitely horrible. But, you know, I'm very excited to see what they are going to have on display for us. And uh, I got to see the Godzilla encounter last year. That was fantastic. Yeah. But the whole problem with that was they rushed you through it. Yes. You know, you, you only had like three or four minutes before they whisked you off into the uh, interactive portion of the of the exhibit. I know. And the first the first portion is the best part. <laughs> Yeah, I was begging them at the end. I'm like, can I please come through? And they're like, we've already started striking things. I'm sorry. Oh, it hurts. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I was warned about that, thankfully. So I tried to take as many pictures as I could of, you know, the, the rows of television sets and the the sushi bar set up and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, but, that was so cool. Yeah, and they had, I believe they had the Mega Gira suit there as well. Or maybe that yeah. was 2000. It's either 2000 or Mega Gira. I'm trying to remember right now. They're but... very similar. <laughs> Yeah, they are very similar. 
You know, actually, so speaking specifically to this aspect of uh, you're whisked away, you only got a few minutes in the in the exhibit or the, uh, you know, the first part of the encounter, mm -hmm. specifically speaking to that versus what's going to happen for this documentary, I have a I have a small anecdote about the hotel. I was I was trying to book my hotel this past weekend. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the hotel that I wanted to stay in was was booked. Wow. <laughs> they did not have any vacancies. And I had a, you know, a tiny little miniature panic attack. And I started looking around the same area because I was going to stay in where the exhibit is. It's called Ikebukuro. Right. And so I was trying to stay in Ikebukuro. So I was looking at hotels and I finally found one and it said rates weren't too bad. I mean, they were way higher than the last place, but they weren't standard Tokyo. Yeah. High, they were high, survivable. Uh, yeah, they were, they were, I could deal with it. So I started looking at the hotel, and then I realized that this hotel is actually in the same mega complex as the Godzilla exhibition. What? Yeah, so there's Perfect. it's called it's called Sunshine City, and <laughs> this it's a, the Prince Hotel so in Japanese. City, and it's like it's a crazy mall and a performance space and an ex exhibition area and an aquarium is in this I believe like, that complex. It's, I was just telling my girlfriend tonight, I was like, it's, it's like someone took a cruise ship and turned it into a building. <laughs> and so, but, uh, you know, specifically speaking to the, the time in the exhibit, because we're going to be there, I'm going to that exhibit every single day that we're in Tokyo. Like, I, without I a doubt. I hope so. Yeah, man, because I think I'll be able to, like, get up, roll out of bed, go get some breakfast, and then just walk down to the exhibit. <laughs> it's going to be pretty rad. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, since it is a, a cruise ship made into a building, I hope that they have Kip Hamilton there and <laughs> singing words get stuck in my throat or something like that. Yes. I almost yes. thought you were going to say you ended up in one of those experience hotel rooms where you can pretend you're like a pirate or or oh. <laughs> you talking about the love hotel. Yeah, the love hotel. <laughs> No, not this time, man. Maybe next time. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we could go on and on, but uh, I think I want to keep this rather short and sweet so people can go right to the Kickstarter and and help you get the last, like, I don't know, 500 bucks or whatever you need for your last stretch goal. Yeah, man. It's I seriously, I like I said before, I'm absolutely floored at the support that this has garnered from Godzilla fans and I'm guessing film fans and friends and so forth. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if the same thing would have happened in 2004. Probably, well, probably not. It's hard I mean, to tell, got, right? It seems yeah, like there's I mean, more more going for it this time around. Yeah, and I think that it, you know, it really helps that Godzilla was so the new Godzilla movie was so well received yeah. across the world that, you know, it's I think it's really helping me spread the word, and I'm sure there are many, many layers to how how this has succeeded. But I am just the bottom line is I am so thankful that people have the faith in what I can do, and the faith in my idea, and that they want to see this documentary come about because I'm your genuineness and and how much you sincerely care about the franchise, for lack of a better word, comes through, and I think people trust you because of that particular factor as well as you know your graphics design your 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 show is high quality but more than any of that more than the trust in the people you've had around you it's 
it, it is the the sincerity of your feelings for Godzilla. I think is really what makes people want to donate. And my feelings run deep for Godzilla. Indeed, as as do many of ours. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for having me on the program. Yeah. I really appreciate it, and I cannot believe it's taken me this long. Yeah, I know. Well, we'll have to rectif- rectify that and come up with another reason for you to come on, although that shouldn't be too difficult. Yeah, anytime, my friend. All right. Well, on that note, thank you, Kyle, from KaijuCast, for talking about your upcoming Hail to the King, 60 years, 60 years of destruction, am I right? That is correct, sir. All right. I personally can't wait, and I will be crossing my fingers that you make that November 3rd goal. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm, I'm going to be busting my ass to try and make that happen. Yeah, I know. You're going you're gonna to have your work cut out for you, but I think it's a worthy endeavor. Well, that makes me feel pretty good, man, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Remember, in order to make his final stretch goal of $17,000, he still needs a little bit more. So if you can share or donate, you can visit the link on the show notes to this episode over at monsterislandresort.org to ensure that we get the highest quality documentary from Kyle that he can provide. And for those of us who are listening, remember, this is our way to vicariously visit the 60 Years of Godzilla exhibit that's happening in Tokyo, Japan, since I'm sure a lot of us cannot make that trip by the time that exhibit bids the world adieu. You can follow Kyle on Twitter. His handle is KaijuCast, that is K-A-I-J-U-C-A-S-T, as well as myself. My handle is Monster Resort. I am still taking submissions for the 2014 Horrible Imaginings Film Festival here in San Diego, and if you are a filmmaker who would like to submit, you can go to hifilmfest.com and click on the Submit Your Film link at the top for instructions on how to do so. It is absolutely free to submit, but act fast as the deadline quickly approaches. Until next time, monster fans, stay scared.